It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchin. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchin. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. We are wrapping up our study of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ here today. And I hope that doesn't discourage you because maybe this is the first time you're tuning in and you're thinking, great, I missed it all. Well, you have it. Actually, you can go back and listen at calvaryfountain.com. And there on our website, you'll find all the prior broadcasts and more videos and sermon notes all at your disposal there. You can use those resources and share and share alike. That's why we put them there for you. And so you can go back, listen to these time and time again. And, and really, that's That's our heart, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so as we're wrapping up this study of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, it's taken us quite a few weeks to do that, mind you. Let me just recap just for a moment for you some of the things that we've covered. Because in the book of Revelation, there's really not a lot. There's there's a wonderful glimpse. But the expectation is that as the people of God's holy word, that we have read the 18 books of prophecy. We have studied these things for ourselves. We have been the brands, we have studied God's word, and we have really uh, taken in the details that have been given to us. And so it takes time to go through the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Zechariah, and yes, even the book of Revelation, amongst many others. And so what we find is that really there's a great deal of detail about this millennial kingdom in the book of Ezekiel. And so we pick and choose some of the text out of Ezekiel, but really when you read it in context and to go through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you find such detail for this millennial kingdom, especially the temple of Jesus Christ, the the very temple that he'll be reigning over the whole world from. And so we're going to spend a little more time talking about what happens at that temple today. That's right. We looked at the temples last week. We really examined all of the temples, the three commissioned temples of Almighty God, and even examined this uh, this desolation, this abomination of desolation that takes place in this very brief period of time during the seven-year tribulation. And as it's finished, it's desecrated. The Antichrist declares himself to be God from it. It only lasts a brief period of time. And then there are four major earthquakes that happen during that seven year period of time that really changed the entire topography of Israel, especially Jerusalem, preparing for this coming temple that Ezekiel was given a vision of. So big, it's impossible to build on the landscape today, quite frankly. There are three valleys that really impede that by God's design, because this was really for Jesus Christ to reign from this particular temple, not for us to create some sort of variation of it, but for this beautiful temple to be built for his presence, and ultimately for the royal priesthood to serve him from this very place. And there will be a priestly district, and all of the details we covered a great detail on that. We also explored just what's happening during the millennial reign of Christ. I mean, we've got a wonderful example throughout Scripture, even in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, just talking about this this peace with the animal kingdom even, and a child that is that is able to uh, even play with the cobra's hole or buy the cobra's hole, and, and it, the child will not get hurt as it puts its hand in the viper's den, uh, that, that people will grow very old. The child is over 100 years old, and so we see a longevity of life 
peace with nature, an agrarian culture that Jesus Christ establishes. We went through that, that the land is transformed, according to Zechariah 14, that Jerusalem is raised up, according to Zechariah 14 and Micah 4. The rivers are flowing from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea in Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah 14, that the river changes the Dead Sea to fresh water once again. Fruit trees of all kinds are throughout that region for food and for healing, according to Ezekiel 47. So yes, all the towns are rebuilt. The foreigners rebuild the walls. Israel is prosperous and productive. It really becomes the capital of the world during the millennial reign of Christ. And so there's so much that we could talk about, even more, but we really want to focus here today on what happens at the temple of Jesus Christ our Lord, because there's some confusion on this. And so to help me in this very uh, interesting and informative dialogue, as always, Dr. Steve Ford is here in the studio. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thanks, John. This is so great. This has been such a great series of shows that we've had on the millennium. I actually hate to see it come to an end. <laughs> I know I've learned so much. I'm sure our listeners have too. And then I think it was great when you mentioned about the opportunity to go back and listen if you've missed any of the episodes. Right. There's just so much great content there to give so much hope, all pointing towards our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've had so much fun just talking about this off the air, about the the Millennial Temple and so much great Old Testament scripture that points to this time in history. That's right. And uh, I just really look forward to exploring it with you a little bit more. And as I had mentioned before the show, I spent my entire life in church and I've, I've never heard Ezekiel 48 to 48 preached on. Uh, 40 to 48. And I think it may be just like you said, because some things, uh, I think sometimes preachers will hesitate to discuss things that are not clear and maybe where there's controversy. That's right. Uh, But we have this scripture for a reason. I believe it was given to us uh, for hope. Uh, God gives us all the information that we we need to know. We don't necessarily understand everything as, Mm -hmm. you know, his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than ours, we're told in scripture. But uh, we do need to dig in deep in Scripture and study with what God has revealed. And That's right. I'm just so excited that we're doing that today about the Millennial Temple. Yeah, I, you know, I had heard about the Millennial Temple, and certainly we talked a little bit about Revelation 21, in which there will be no more temple after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And, right. and, and the glorious revelation there of the new Jerusalem on a new heaven, a new earth, uh, everything created new or even recreated new, and a beautiful, uh, just a hopeful future that awaits even beyond the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And so often those get blurred together, and yet there's actually two part to that. So we encourage all of you to go back and read these things for yourself. Go back, read Revelation chapter 20 into 21, and be encouraged. Uh, There's just so much there, but it really, it's all rooted with the rest of prophecy. We're going to pull these pieces together. As you know, as we examine even the book of Revelation into detail, we had to spend a lot of time in Daniel. Uh, Daniel gave a lot of detail there as well. So it's it's what was really revealed in pieces all comes together yeah, with the book picture. of revelation. Yeah. And then that just keeps us uh, excited it because does. it's, it's a journey. <laughs> uh, it's a mind that's never diminished, right? Oh, it's, yeah. it's always producing. And that's the beauty of the Holy word of God. You can keep reading it and reading it yep. and you'll never grow bored. Yep. Right. <laughs> Especially new things, new yeah. It's yeah. so true. Well, uh, you brought up a wonderful question as we were going through the millennial reign, uh, perhaps something that most people hadn't considered, which uh, when we talk about the book of Ezekiel, there's an image there of sacrifices taking place in the temple of Jesus Christ. 
And this, as you indicated when we were first starting the program here, is that has created some confusion. In fact, I, I recall reading uh, the, the number of articles from a pastor that I had respected for so many years, still do, uh, but it was interesting because this really caught me off guard a bit when I read his take on Ezekiel, where he was just struggling so much to accept the fact that there were sacrifices happening at the Millennial Temple. Right because he just couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that this had been completed, fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we must be just translating it wrong, was right. almost his take on that. Yeah. And I was shocked. Right. <laughs> like, that's not proper exegesis. You yeah. can't just do that. It, it, because we don't fully understand it, that requires us then to seek the Holy right. Spirit for right. discernment and understanding. Right. And I, I love the fact that here's a man who had been preaching the gospel for probably 25, 30 years. Sure. And he was still struggling with this. So it's like, okay, as the listener, don't be uh, dismayed if right. you're trying to put this together in your mind. Maybe already something we've said has just jostled you a little bit, right? Yeah, because when you when you read that at first and you read about the Millennial Temple, it's truly a, wait, what? Right. <laughs> moment. You know, how can this be? You know, Hebrews tells us sacrifices once for all. That's right. And here we are making sacrifices again. So, you know, yep. how can this possibly be? It does, you know... It really is startling the first time you read it, and you really have to uh, actually go ahead and dig into a little bit and see if you can root out exactly what's going on here. That's right. Well, let's let's get right into oh, it. That sounds great. I know our time will will just uh, dissipate quickly. It always does. <laughs> it always does. Yeah. Uh, well, let's look at it here for just a moment. Is uh, we're now examining what we just indicated, and maybe that was a shocker to you that as we examine the thousand-year reign, literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ, a massive temple is constructed, so big you could fit the other temples all together in its courtyard and still have room left over. That's how big this is, with a, a district area for the royal priests that serve the Lord Jesus and act as a, a judicial system for him. It's about 56 square miles that's going to take all of that uh, territory, so the topography indeed has to change with those three valleys that uh, would interrupt and impede that currently, uh, but not after those four, four earthquakes that we right. talked about last week. But there are several passages in the Old Testament that clearly indicate animal sacrifice will be reinstituted during the millennial kingdom. And some passages mention it in passing as the topic of the millennial kingdom is discussed, like Isaiah chapter 56, Zechariah 14, even Jeremiah chapter 33. So the passage that's the most extensive, I mean, this is the one we've mentioned a few times, giving us the greatest detail really covers between Ezekiel chapter 43 to 46. And it's and it really should be noted here that the greater passage within this is dealing specifically with the millennial kingdom. And the passage that really kicks all this off is starting really in Ezekiel chapter 40, even in Ezekiel 47 where you see the the you know the kingdom restored, the the borders reapportioned uh, right. and outlined there. And so in Ezekiel 40 the Lord begins to give the details of the temple that will exist during that millennial kingdom. And as I mentioned, this dwarfs all of the other temples. And there's so much detail there, even the crown molding, the size of the steps, everything, as we've indicated yeah. before on oh, this program, you can make a very detailed blueprint from what the Bible gives us there. So this is not just a blurry vision. This is a vision with specificity, a great clarity there. So after giving those details concerning the size and the appearance of the temple and the altar itself, 
the Lord then begins to give detailed instruction as to the animal sacrifices that will be offered unto the Lord. And we see that in Ezekiel 43, verses 18 to 27 in specificity there. In chapter 44, the Lord gives instructions as to who will be offering the sacrifices to the Lord. And the Lord states that all of the Levites will not be offering blood and fat to the Lord due to previous sin. It will be those of the lineage of Zadok, which means just or justified. Very different there. So again, we see something unique here. Chapters 45 and 46 continue to mention that animal sacrifices will be made. And the primary objection made to the idea of animal sacrifices returning in this millennial kingdom is that Christ has come and offered a perfect sacrifice for sin, and there is therefore no need to sacrifice animals for sin. Okay, that's a dilemma in our minds. We're trying to make sense of this. However, it has to be remembered, I and mean, we've got to really remember this, that animal sacrifice never removed the sin right. that spiritually separated a person from the Lord. Let me cite Hebrews, Dr. Ford, that you mentioned already. Hebrews 10, 1-4 says, For the law, since it has, on, was, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by years, for it is impossible For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's incorrect then to think that animal sacrifices took away sins in the Old Testament, and it's incorrect to think that they will do so during the millennial kingdom. That's not their role. But animal sacrifices served as an object lesson for the sinner, that the sin was and is a horrible offense against God, and, and that the result of sin equals death. We know that clearly from scripture romans chapter 3 verse 20 says because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin and so most premillennial scholars agree that the purpose of animal sacrifice during the millennial kingdom is memorial in nature so as the lord's supper is a reminder of the death of christ To the church today, animal sacrifices will be a reminder during the millennial kingdom of all that Christ fulfilled. So to those born during the millennial kingdom, we talked about that, there'll be mortals still who have children who live extended uh, lengths of life, maybe very similar to what we saw in Methuselah, who lived 969 years. But even for them, they need to be reminded of what Christ did during his offering of himself on the cross. So animal sacrifices will again be an object lesson. So during that future time, righteousness and holiness will prevail, but those with earthly bodies will still have a sin nature. And there will be a need to teach about how offensive sin is to a holy and righteous God. So animal sacrifices will serve that purpose. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, as we just read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3. Now, Dr. Ford, as we were talking about that, I know that that is really the what the, the, the frame of mind that I held to in that paradigm for so long is that alone, that the sacrifices would only be a reminder. Right. 
Um, I want to explore it to a little bit more detail, but you really challenged me with some thinking on this as well of the consecration aspect of that. Uh, Could you just share a little bit about some of your heart on that? Sure. I think, you know, an additional view, uh, a complimentary view is also the possibility that those sacrifices we do read in Ezekiel, that, that, that area of the temple itself and where the Lord resides is holy ground. Mm. And these are holy implements of the, of the temple. And once again, we, as we discussed uh, we have now have the glorified Christ living with sinful man. Hmm. So this is an entirely different ball game and that there may need to be sacrifices from a cleansing standpoint, a cleansing of sin, that sort of thing. And that that could also be another reason why some of the sacrifices are performed. That's right. Yeah. And you have, and they need to, in fact, they're told to be, well, they being the priest are right. told to instruct these people even about the Sabbaths themselves. Right. So let me just look at that a little closer here with our listener as we just examine this to greater detail, because I think the natural uh, question that may come to our listener's mind then is, wait a minute, what part of all the law comes back into play then? Because there's 613 ordinances of the Old Covenant law, and if that's been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, how much of it actually is reinstituted during the millennial reign? Well, the reading of Ezekiel 42 to 46 shows that during the millennium, there will be all the principal offerings that were introduced in the Levitical system, namely the burnt offering, the oblation, the peace offering, the sin and trespass offerings, and the drink offering. Now, in the coming day, the sacrifices will look back on the life and death of Christ in this world, whereas the sacrifices of the Levitical system looked forward to the coming and sacrificial work of Jesus. So the same chapters show the feasts that will be celebrated and omitted are the four feasts specifically of Leviticus chapter 23. Okay, so there are seven feasts that were commanded of God, and here we actually see only two, three that are still active. And I say two, possibly three, because one actually runs right into the other. And you wouldn't know them to be separate feasts if not for the delineation uh, as they continue on in that week. And for example, Passover that goes into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Those two are yet one feast, but they're two and they're separated. And then we also see the Feast of Tabernacles. So of these seven, We only see these three that are active during the millennial reign of Christ. So the only two millennial festivals that are listed biblically there in Zechariah 14, 16, the Feast of Tabernacles, and then in Ezekiel 45, 21, the Passover into unleavened bread. So it's two with the third, Right. right? And that's it. The rest have no other mention because they've been fulfilled. And let me just show you that. The Passover was fulfilled in the death of Christ the Redeemer, but clearly continues in the millennium as a ceremony unto the work of the Lord. He's always moving his people forward because even after the thousand-year reign of Christ, there's still yet another work to be done, a new heaven and a new earth. That's Revelation chapter 21. And, And I know we've talked about this. It breaks our heart to read it as well, that at the end of the millennial reign, they'll number like the sands of the sea that rise up against the Lord Jesus. Talk about the hardened hearts of men. And they'll believe the deceiver as he's released from his prison, as he's been held captive for a thousand years, not to deceive the people daring, but they must face the tempter once again at the end of that thousand-year period. And many will turn on the Lord with the same heart of Judas. It's hard to believe, and yet... He still keeps the mission forward yep. to, to carry us through to a new promised land, the new heaven and the new earth. 
The Feast of Unleavened Bread is being fulfilled in the holy separate walk of the believer who fellowships with our Savior. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 7, and Galatians chapter 5. The Feast of First Fruits was fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. We see that specifically highlighted in 1 Corinthians 15. And the Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled in the establishment of the church. At Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we get that image of 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and chapter 12. And the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled in the future regathering of Israel at the beginning of the kingdom and at the fulfillment of the judgment upon the earth. We get those images from Joel chapter 2, even in Ezekiel 37, Isaiah 18. But the Day of Atonement will also be fulfilled at the second coming of our Lord. And we read that in Zechariah chapter 12 and Romans chapter 11. So you have this, uh, on the 14th day of the first month, the Passover will be celebrated even through the millennial reign of Christ. For the Lord said, you shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. So God will have his earthly people realize that he delivered them from bondage, even symbolically bondage from Egypt. And here we have all of the tribes restored throughout Israel, and now they're coming to Jerusalem to worship the true Messiah, and now the pieces will all come together for them. And then the Feast of Tabernacles makes perfect sense because they'll be celebrating the reign of Christ. That's what it really symbolized. I remember when we went and celebrated a Feast of Tabernacles, perfect strangers were just giving my children gifts throughout the whole week. It was like a week-long Christmas. I mean, music and celebration unto the Lord. People paid for our hotel room. People we never even knew. Gifts just showing up at the front door of our hotel. And I mean, it was a celebration of the Lord. And I was like, if this is even just a glimpse, (laughs) I cannot wait till we get to do this forever and ever. And really, especially through the thousand-year reign of our Lord. And we're told that if we don't do that, that there is judgment upon those who don't come and worship the Lord during the Feast of Tabernacles. And of course, then the Sabbaths are reinstituted. And there will be sacrifices and worship to God on the Sabbath. So we see that Ezekiel 46, 1 to 5. Now, the daily sacrifice will only be a morning sacrifice, for the dark night of Israel's distance from God will be forever gone. And they will be morning by morning keep the sweet fragrance of Christ as the Lamb of God, the true burnt offering ever before him. So there will be these special ordinances. Sacrifices will be offered on the altar for seven days, the blood being put on the four horns, the four corners of the ledges, and upon the border that's around about it. And we get those details from Ezekiel 43, verses 20 to 26. An atonement for the house will be made on the first of the first month and on the first of the seventh month according to Ezekiel 45, 18 to 20. And on the new moons, the prince will offer his offerings and with the people shall worship the Lord, according to Ezekiel 46, 2 to 7. Now, the interesting thing about this, Dr. Ford, we talked about it, is where's the church before the tribulation in all of this, right? Right. Because it's like, well, we've been freed from the shackles of the law of sin and death and totally fulfilled in Christ Jesus, does that mean that we who are no longer under the law now have to come back under this? And I believe that the answer is revealed to us in Revelation, especially chapter 4 and 5, 
that that's not the place for the church. Rather, we are worshiping the Lord even in that posture. We see Revelation 7, where a multitude that can't be counted is gathered around his throne worshiping him. So these seem to be special ordinances and observances for those on earth who did not know the Lord before the millennial king right. came, right? Yeah. So I think that at the end of the day, we could still say there's we don't have absolute clarity, but when you start to put the pieces together here and what we are told and what is revealed to us in Scripture, we get an amazing picture here of almost a hybrid-like system, something exactly very right. unique to the glorified Lord Jesus on the earth with these mortals uh, he being fully perfect, they still being in imperfect flesh, and the ordinances that are put in place for them to worship him in his revealed glory before them, while the church simultaneously is worshiping in the heavenlies right. and serving him on earth. Yeah. What a beautiful image. Oh, it is beautiful. So I, I know that we're going to expect all of our listeners to go and read this for themselves. Oh, right? <laughs> yeah, you really need to. Yeah, it's an unprecedented time uh, with God's relationship with man. So we shouldn't be too surprised that it's a little different from some of the things that we've seen before in, in Scripture. That's right. Yeah, it is a unique time. And that just gives us even, I think... When we see that, we go, wow, the Lord still has more to be done. Yeah, right. It doesn't end with the rapture and the seven-year tribulation. There's actually uh, something even bigger beyond that, and then something even bigger beyond that, of a new heaven and a new earth. So it's an exciting time it indeed. Is. And I hope that you, our listener, has been encouraged by what you've heard here today. It's tough that now we wrap up our millennial study, and we want to encourage you to go back and listen to it all for yourself at Calvary Fountain. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.